Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to another Star Wars episode. I originally wanted to get through all the prequels this year, but I don't think we're going to make it. I have way too much Christmas stuff planned, so it will likely have to be one of the first ones next year. Obviously for this one we're talking the second episode of the prequel trilogy, my favorite episode, Attack of the Clones. If you're enjoying this series and want more, check out my Patreon where you'll find an extended version of this episode, 20 minutes longer than the one here. As usual, joining me for this one is Nikki from Trivial Theater, and as seems to be the norm for our Star Wars episode, this is a long one, so let's get right into it. So, what are your overall thoughts on episode two? Because this is probably my favorite of the prequels, even though it's most people's least favorite. You know, I I have a complicated relationship with this. I think when I initially saw it, I really enjoyed it um, because the only other one that I was going off of was the first one. Mm -hmm. And the first one, for, for all of the back and forth ins and outs, it it didn't strike me as much as I hoped it would. Like, it had some cool stuff, but I think just the it didn't quite strike the chord I was looking for. Mm -hmm. um, two has a lot of good stuff, but the you see Anakin as such a, and I, we'll get into it more, but you see how Anakin was as, as a small kid. And then you see him and, and then you see him as a 19 year old. And I don't know, like you see, you know, knowing where it progresses to, I, I think it's, I, I don't know that seeing him progress this way, had I not seen what was coming with, with what he became, I would not have thought that he was going to become Vader at this point. He, there's there's a lot going on with him and you know it's a lot of hormonal stuff and things but it, i don't know i i think that was the hardest thing watching this one I, I i really enjoy this episode for what it brings to the table it it introduces a lot of interesting characters it has a lot of really great moments but overall the way that the story goes it it there's some bits that are lacking in it i don't know if that makes any sense like i like the overall concept but there's there's some massive flaws i guess yeah and i could see that more now than i think i have in the past yeah i think that was i, I think that's why i'm conflicted because when i first saw it i really did enjoy it when compared to phantom menace but looking at it having just watched it i'm more conflicted on it than i was it'll be interesting to see how i feel about the prequels once i rewatch the third one and see if it changes what my favorite is Oh, no, absolutely. So this is your favorite now. Uh, what is it about, like, just uh, from an overall stance, what is it for you that stands out as, as, like, what makes it great for you? The creatures, the aliens, the sounds, the everything about the aesthetic, like how it looks, not really so much the story. <laughs> oh, understood. No, I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a great way to put it because you do get more of that, that everything in the original trilogy was relatively small and for good reason you know it was kept in smaller spaces here you do mm -hmm. see vast planets and arrays of aliens and and uh, vehicles and the whole nine yards um and much more so than in the um the uh, phantom menace as well so i can see that 100 percent. they go outside the box and they do show you a lot yeah i feel like it's a lot more visually creative than some of the other ones have been and that just really stands out to me. Oh, totally so. Totally so. And the like the reveal of Coruscant alone, 
Um, mm. I know for me, after reading the books and then getting that first view of Coruscant and kind of how how it goes in, you know, there's there's bits of Blade Runner and there's bits of any kind of seedy undercity that you've ever seen. You know, it's there's a mm. lot there's a lot of good and there was a lot of thought that went into it, which was needed for that. Yeah, I think the thing that doesn't hold up as much is probably just the relationships, because when I first saw it, I don't think I thought about that or cared about that. And I've seen a lot more of what a, what better relationships could be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now Anakin is like a walking red flag. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, there's there's not even doubt about that. And <laughs> and I don't know if at the time, because I'm not sure how much, not not that the, the distance in age between. Um, Padme, Abadala. No, it, well, it's going to go with the actors that played them. But yeah their real life ages at that point versus, you know, everything else aside. I, and I don't know the difference in them, but there's just, there's a lack of chemistry. It's just like, you know, mm. you know, they kiss and it's like, they're both kissing fish. <laughs> you know, there's. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely see the lack of chemistry more now. Like I said, when the first time I watched this, I don't, I didn't care. Like this is the first star Wars movie I ever saw in a theater. And oh no, hundred percent. I that that probably has a huge amount to do with it. Plus, like the main thing, one of the main things that I love about Star Wars is the creatures. So there's a lot of that in this. I love the planets, and then there's so much good sound design in this movie. Like I, I, some of my favorite sound effects of all of Star Wars are in this movie. Oh yeah. So as much as the relationship is cringy, the story is. So, so I still love watching this movie. Well, and it is a case too, where there's, you could watch this 15 or 20 times and catch something new going on in the background mm. with every single shot. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, and I don't know if you feel this way, but for me, I think the, the best built scenes, like, and may, I, I, I'm putting a, aside the, the, um, the battles just because they're a different dynamic, but if you want a real feel for the world, the cantina scenes, the bar scenes, the club yeah. scenes are the most enjoyable of the Star Wars universe. Whether you're talking um, for as useless as Canto Bite was, you know, it was I, a really. I love Canto Bite. It's so cool looking. It is creative. It's super creative looking. Like I, I don't care for the for the scene itself because it doesn't really do a lot as far mm -hmm. as plot goes. But yeah, for an overall aesthetic, and I apologize, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but the um. The one where they find Luke's lightsaber. Um, Maz Palace. Thank you. Yes. Uh, or Tatooine or the nightclub on Coruscant. It's just, there's such an aesthetic and it's yeah. so fun. Yeah. I love looking at those scenes and seeing new creatures and things in the background that you maybe you missed or forgot about. Very much so. And they just, not that they, not that they let their guard down. But you see them in a different light. They aren't just fighting. You get to kind of see them outside of 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 that aesthetic. You know, they mm -hmm. they talk to people. They you know tear off arms. You know, they pull out lightsabers. <laughs> Obi Wan has a drink. You know, it's I it just it's a it's it's a fun, interesting aesthetic, and it you know it it transcends because if you've ever been to a bar, you kind of get that feel. A weird little man tries to sell you death sticks. <laughs> 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 and just the, I, I, I will say, and I, I don't know if you agree with this, but in this episode, and I think I kind of across the board to me, Obi-Wan is one of the few characters that really has like an arc 
Like, I know Anakin travels down the dark side, but it's so, well, this is where he's going to go. But with Obi-Wan, he does, like, he has that that growth that the characters Mm -hmm. in the original trilogy had, you know? He's he's got this very strong moral core, and yet he's sitting here. I'm gonna go have a drink, you know. I, you know, I I would have loved to have known more about his adventure with the diner owner. Like that was something I wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, I think Obi Wan is one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He just you, um, Alec Guinness played him well, but obviously we didn't get a lot of time with him mm-hmm. just because that was never the the point. But you get to see you the way you and McGregor plays him is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And not that it has any bearing on this movie, but like I've I've said it before, the Clone Wars expands on so many stories, and you get a lot of backstory with Obi Wan as well. Nice. So there's just so much about his character that I like so much more than most of the Skywalkers. <laughs> oh no, agreed. And I think because. Because he's lived more like he's not because, you know, you look at Luke and he spent his first 18 years on Tatooine, you know, basically, you know, working mm-hmm. in, and not to say that he didn't have personality and adventures, but by and large, he was kind of trapped. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. he gets pulled into the Empire and, oh, you're the last Jedi. That That's kind of his arc. And then you look at Anakin and it's kind of the same thing. You know, he's he's got that whole goth emo thing going and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well i guess we can get into the movie itself it's basically 10 years after the phantom menace the galactic republic is being threatened by a separatist movement led by count dooku who is actually the sith lord darth tyrannus and the senate is debating the creation of an army of the republic we're following padme as she's going to vote against this because she doesn't want them to have to basically go to war so she doesn't want them to form an army at all but the jedi are at a point where they don't think that they're enough to maintain peace and justice across the galaxy right and you have this scene with padme's ship approaching coruscant and i really love all the sound design but i love how the ship is like flying up to the planet and the planet is above it and then the ship has to flip over to make its descent and that's that's such a I don't know how much people even think about that detail, but it's something that I've thought about, like with outer space scenes, like everybody always flies in like the same up down orientation, mm-hmm. but like there's no gravity in outer space. So it doesn't really make sense that everybody would be flying all in the same orientation. Like you could have people <laughs> going sideways and upside down and it would still be like if you have artificial gravity on your ship, it literally does not matter. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Well, and it was cool, too, because every single Star Wars to this point, I think, if there's ships coming into it or whatever it might be, it's always from the bottom of the screen. From this mm-hmm. one, you go up yeah. to the, see the planet. Yeah, and I love that. That is very cool. So she arrives on Coruscant, and her ship gets blown up as soon as she steps off it, and just about everybody is killed, including her decoy, Corday, who as she's dying, she says, I'm so sorry, I failed you, Senator. And I was thinking, this is literally your job. <laughs> you did not fail her. You died in her place. So <laughs> Well, I suppose if you're dying, you're thinking, oh crap. I did I did something wrong. I ended up dead. I was supposed to not die. <laughs> I, I can no longer be a Padme uh, you know, decoy. <laughs> Well, she's got like a dozen hanging around, so yeah, there's always exactly. another one coming. <laughs> Corday's like, oh man, my next review is going to be terrible. 
actually the next review will be the eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Padme up there like, yeah, Corday was, you know, she did. She looked a lot like me. She, you know, had similar stature and such. She did a great job until she got herself blown up. You know, I, I, I had to dock her points. So uh, to her <laughs> remaining family, I'm sorry, but you owe me 150 bucks for her outfit. <laughs> either that or she did an excellent job saving me from dying so here's a bonus for her for the survivors (laughs) (laughs) so she's heading to palpatine's office there's a meeting with the jedi going on they're basically saying that they don't have enough jedi to help if his negotiations fail and they end up going to war and when padme gets there she tells the group that she thinks count dooku is trying to kill her and the Jedi basically deny this because Count Dooku was once a Jedi, so they don't think he could assassinate anyone. It's not in his character. <laughs> but, uh, is it just me, or are they very naive? Because, yes. you know, you think about how far back the Jedi go, mm-hmm. and the history of the fact that they're... And I guess it had been quite a long time since a Sith was recognized, and mm-hmm. obviously they stayed in the shadows. But I don't know. To go to this person, oh, yeah, you know, this guy's never done anything. But, you know, ah, rumors, rumors are just rumors. To not investigate it at that point. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's a lot of stuff. This movie's got a lot of good, but there's so much stuff where it's just like, and I know that it moves the plot, but it feels a little bit lazy isn't the right word. Well, I think, I I kind of think it's on purpose, actually, because I think, to me, the Jedi are kind of like they're getting too big for their britches. <laughs> I suppose so. They're too... They think that they know everything, even though some of them know that they don't. And it's kind of explored more in some of the other media how much the Jedi, some Jedi, feel like they have kind of lost their way. Oh, no. And you get a little bit of that in this. Like, there's some lines that make you think that maybe some of them are coming to this realization, but it's not enough. It's basically, it's too late at this point. (laughs) They don't know if the Sith are literally in control. Right. Well, and and the other thing that, though, for, so even Yoda, at one point he says, um, basically that things are worse off than what they appear. Mm -hmm. For for Yoda to say that and to go, oh, we don't need to check on, you know, Dooku, he's fine. You know, he's just, he's off doing his thing. You know, he's rubbing his hands together and twirling his mustache, but yeah, you know, it's okay. I, I feel like the writing on some of this, and I know it was just as much meant to be a kid's movie as it is anything, and it's it's nitpicky, but things like that, one line could have been like, you know, he is of high regard, he's, you know, done this, that, and the other thing, we know that he's, we know that he's good, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe that that covered it, and maybe I'm being nitpicky on that, but... I think that they probably just are thinking of the Count Dooku that they knew back in the past when he was a member of the Jedi Order. And even though he has left, I think that they just want to believe the best in him. That's fair. They're just being very naive about it. And I'm not sure, I'm not fully sure how much Yoda would even agree with that. Because he like, I think he doesn't want anyone to argue about him. So he kind of not changes the subject, but basically says that what they know for certain right now is that she's in and they just need to protect her no matter what, no matter who it is. So, Agreed. Yeah. And that is kind of the, the main crux for everything that they're doing here. So. Mm-hmm. so Palpatine requests that they get a Jedi, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker to basically be her security guards. So they're called in and they 
head to her apartment. They're met by Jar Jar. (laughs) His role has been greatly reduced in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, well, and given given everything that, like, the response to him in the first one, I I feel bad for Ahmed Best because he, I don't know, do do you feel like, because what happens in this one with Jar Jar, do you think that that was, like, I, I... I've heard a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, Jar Jar did this in the last one. And then you see what he does here. And it's kind of like self-fulfilling prophecy of his continued shenanigans, you know? Mm-hmm. But... I, don't, I don't know, because and I don't know what George Lucas's plans were for Jar Jar. I know he had planned for him to have a bigger role than this. But then the negative backlash was so strong that he just cut him down to just a few scenes in this movie and then like one cameo basically in the last of the prequels. Right. So I don't know if it was always the plan to have him be the catalyst for the empire, but it almost feels like it almost feels like they wanted to give him, give everyone a reason to actually hate him. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I, I've kind of gone back and forth on that and watching it today. It's, you still, it's still that was that intended for him to be that, or was that just a, because Naboo was held in such high regard, you know, they really couldn't have had it be anyone else to do that job. And I, well, that, I don't know. That, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> there has to be another Gungan somewhere that has better diplomatic skills than Jar Jar. I'm not really sure why he was given this position. Well, I, I suppose <laughs> that all comes down to the fact that he was considered uh, a war hero for the, for the, Probably. Um, from the first one. Yeah. You know, that that uh, that place of note. And they figured as long as Padme was there to kind of be the 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 head person and then Jar Jar is kind of more figurehead senator, like senator, backup senator or yeah, secondary think, senator or however they however they roll with that. I think his title is representative instead okay. of senator. So I think he's like maybe her second in command. That would make sense. But I, he he basically fills in for her when she's gone. So I think that. Maybe it is just a figurehead position. Like maybe they just assume that Padme is going to be there all the time anyways. We'll give him this position. He won't actually need to do anything. Right. It'll look good. It'll show representation of more than just the human population of Naboo. Yeah. Anyways, Anakin and Padme reunite. And she tells him that he'll always be that little boy she met on Tatooine, which I don't think he wanted to hear. Oh, no. Can you imagine the buzzkill? Like, just how you just be so let down by that. You think about this angel all the time, and then she's like, oh, Annie. I, even just him being called Annie off the bat. Can you imagine being 19 and being called by the name that you were called 10 years previous? <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but yeah, kind of. <laughs> oh, man. That'd be like, oh. Hey, Bubba! It's like that was that was what they called you when you were like you know knee high to a pop bottle or something. And oh man, I felt bad for him. It's like oh no, don't do that. That that that's oh dude. The true reason for his turn to the dark side. <laughs> don't call me that name. Well, what should we call you? Um, let's see. Anakin is okay, but I need some kind of a nickname. Vader? Yeah, I like Vader. Let's go, Vader. <laughs> Anakin promises that he's going to find her attempted assassin and Obi-Wan tries to rein him in saying that's not what they're there for, which starts an argument. And Anakin basically says it's obvious that investigation was implied when they were assigned to her because it's overkill to have Jedi as a security team. And like everybody else in the room is just kind of looking around like, 
awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the first time too where uh, Obi Wan, like he calls him my very young Padawan learner, continuously throughout this movie, mm-hmm. and I find that like, I, and I, whether it's good natured ribbing or like him reminding him, hey look who's in charge around here kind of a thing. But it, it, I always find that very interesting, the way that that's approached. Yeah. Eventually Padme goes to her room and then we go outside and see Django Fett and Zam Wessel, two bounty hunters slash assassins. Django gives her a tube of presumably poisonous centipedes and tells her not to make any mistakes this time. So you know that these two are the ones behind the assassination attempt. Absolutely so. And then we go back to Obi-Wan and Anakin, and Anakin tells Obi-Wan that Padme has covered the cameras in her room because I don't think she liked me watching her. (laughs) It's like, yeah, that's not creepy at all. Nope. (laughs) But he also tells them that Padme basically had this idea of using her as bait to catch the killer, and he says that, they shouldn't worry because he can sense everything going on in that room. <laughs> and then they're arguing some more. And Obi-Wan eventually asks if he's still dreaming about his mother. And he says, yes, but he'd much rather dream about Padme and that being around her is intoxicating. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. Well, and the dialogue does him no favors. Uh, yeah. Like, like Lucas is an incredibly good producer and he's a good, a big idea guy, but on I think every single other movie to this point, well, maybe not um, Phantom Menace, but the dialogue has always been handled by other writers. Yeah, or I think the, the original trilogy, I believe he wrote like the first draft and then somebody else came in and cleaned up the script right? and basically made them much better than they were. Like all the ideas are still his, but the dialogue, I'm sure, is one of the biggest things that was changed. Oh, no, absolutely. And that's, I think, a lot of cases where, you know, if you have someone that's really good at dialogue and I guess sharpening the blade that was forged by the original person, you know, Mm -hmm. it's and everybody needs that. You know, if you work on something for long enough, you do kind of lose track of those of those little details like that. Mm -hmm. Like Lucas is super good at like naming people like there's so (laughs) many great names. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's no one called Bob. I wish there was one guy just called Bob. That would be hilarious. <laughs> one of the po- one of the little kids is called Liam, though. Oh, that's, <laughs> Which is that works. Not quite Bob, but yeah, good, close enough. It's still a normal human name, <laughs> which I thought was kind of weird in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah, let me introduce Akbar, uh, Mon Mothma, and this is this is Liam. <laughs> He's our accountant. <laughs> He's also a Jedi, but, you know, he's really good at accounting to see. I guess Luke is kind of a normal human name, too. So <laughs> there are I some guess... normal names sprinkled here and there. Yeah, but I suppose he makes up for it with the last name, you know. And as yeah. they've gone along, they have gotten more unique. And I I don't know, I just feel like there's some kind of a random letter generator that they just, <laughs> like, start picking names from. Well, we don't know what Liam's last name is. That is true. That is very true. Maybe it's something utterly ridiculous. It is at least like three syllables long and... Galoozlethorpe. Exactly. It has like no vowels. Liam Galoozlethorpe. (laughs) (laughs) He's half tweak tweak on his mother's side. 
Anyways, Obi-Wan tells him that he's made a commitment to the Jedi Order and he can't easily break this. And Padme is a politician, so she shouldn't be trusted. And he basically says she's not like the others. And then they get into an argument about politics. And then while they're debating about the corruptibility of senators, you see outside that Zam's centipedes are being delivered via droid. And they're able to sneak into her room past R2, basically undetected. They're still outside arguing, and now they're on Palpatine. Anakin thinks that he's a good man, while Obi-Wan doesn't trust him. But then they're interrupted by a sense that something's wrong, and they burst into Padme's room and kill the centipedes before they can bite her. Obi-Wan dives out the window and grabs the droid before it can fly away, while Anakin goes to get a speeder to follow him. And then you get the scene where they're flying around the city, and like this is where the sound design is like some of the best. I love oh, yeah. all the sounds as they're flying around the city, the aliens that they're flying past, the little cameos. You get like a Doug. You get people <laughs> screaming. I love all this stuff. Oh, and it's well, it's again one of those things where you can go back and watch this, and you can catch all those little those little moments. Mm-hmm. So Zam sees her droid returning now with a passenger, so she shoots him off and flies away. And Anakin catches up to him and catches him in a speeder. And they have a big chase through the city. And then they have a really weird little like, oh, I was trying to decide like on color. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> they have like it's I think it's partly in good fun, but also partly an argument. Oh, yeah. Well, no, it's definitely um, the, the banter of, of two people that know each other really well. I mean, mm-hmm. they're like I, they're as much brothers as anything, you know, kind of going back and forth and stuff. I yeah. know that Anakin refers to Obi-Wan as like a father figure, but I think it's the way that they go back and forth. It's much more brothers than it is father son. Yeah, I think up until this point, it probably is probably it would have been seen from Anakin's point of view as more of a father son relationship. But I think after the war happens, I think they become more brothers. And I think I you can get, see that. Well, you get more of that in the Clone Wars series, but then in the last movie, they basically say that they were brothers. Yeah. Well, and I suppose too with age too, that changes out, you know, that yeah. that that dynamic does change in that respect. So because mm-hmm. even with uh Quagon, you really didn't have him around that long to kind of start him off. Yeah. And I will say I do I do like the moments of banter. I think that they they go on a little too long. It's like a you know when you come in with a good joke, you say the joke, you mm-hmm. you know say it, and then you you move on with it. But it is fun to see those moments of levity and kind of again those moments that aren't quite just focused on fighting or chasing. There's there's a little bit of humor and you know real outside the box stuff with this. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I think in this scene, like my favorite detail is just the sound of their ships, Zam's ship and Anakin's speeder. Oh, yeah. Just the sounds that they make are so cool. I just love the sounds. And it is neat to hear like the difference of the like they build the vessels to be different and, and, you know, different makes and alien models and the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And even when they when they land and kind of get going into the club and such the the variety of it's so it's it's like something out of and i'm sure there was some influence from blade runner but just that the different tongues and the different music and all that stuff that kind of makes up those scenes yeah i really like anytime there's like a cantina scene this is a nightclub but it's similar to the cantina scene absolutely so all the variety in the background is so cool yeah 
And just the like the the sports going on on the screen in the background. <laughs> yes. Like the the kind of weird football thing and like the there was some kind of a animal race going on what looked like Tatooine or something like that. Uh-huh. And the droids having some sort of a I don't know pushing battle. <laughs> <laughs> like one droid trying to push the other. <laughs> and you think about the ex- the stuff that went into those those little tiny things that are on yes. camera for you know maybe 15 20 seconds uh-huh yeah they put so much detail into these movies oh yeah but you also get a line in here where obi-wan catches up to anakin and basically says why do i get the feeling you're going to be the death of me <laughs> <laughs> it's not foreshadowing at all <laughs> They eventually find Zam and disarm her. <laughs> Literally. You have to have somebody get their limbs whacked off. <laughs> Do you think that's a constant at every like bar, cantina, and club in the universe? <laughs> like every night, there's just one battle where someone loses an arm? <laughs> I'm just imagining a little droid janitor finding body parts as he's cleaning up <laughs> after the night's over. <laughs> And he's like, oh, you know, it's a good night. Only one person lost a limb. <laughs> it's a good Friday night. <laughs> so they take her outside to question her, but before she can name who hired her, she's hit with a dart and dies, and they see somebody fly away. So they go back to the Jedi Temple, and Obi-Wan is assigned to track down the assassin's killer, while Anakin is assigned to stay with Amidala. It seems like a bad idea. I don't know why they are they aren't thinking about this, but I Jedi been... mind tricks. I think that Anakin was like, <laughs> "You will assign me to Padme's protection. I will assign you to Padme's protection." <laughs> there is a line later on. I think Mace Windu says something about they're losing their ability to use the Force. Maybe this is one of those instances they just couldn't see anything bad coming from this. <laughs> oh no, absolutely not. Well, and they do say, like you said, the the veil is dropped, and there's a lot that can't be seen. But yeah, yeah, uh, common sense. Oof. They don't think that Padme is going to want to leave, so Yoda tells Anakin, basically, talk to Palpatine. He can convince her to go. And then during that conversation, you get the sense that Palpatine has been like subtly manipulating Anakin for a while. You can tell that he's basically trying to get him on his side. He's complimenting him, telling him that he's been saying for years that he's the most gifted Jedi he's ever met. Like, this is a teenager. (laughs) 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 Okay, guy, whatever. (laughs) Well, and too, I think Anakin, you know, at that age... At least I was, you know, you get very like at that age, you're very idealistic, you know, and again, Mm -hmm. I it's not that Anakin hasn't lived in the world, but he comes off as a very like very idealistic person. And I find that very interesting about his character, like because some of that some of that manipulation comes from his own, you know, side, too. Yeah. And that's not good or bad. That's just the, the the age and such. Yeah, You know, because as he goes along, he talks about how, you know, he trusts Palpatine and he's a good man. And, mm-hmm. you know, he wants everyone to kind of agree, you know, to, to do the right thing. You know, it's a very, very black and white yeah. moral code. Yeah. So they're getting ready to leave and Padme is going to give Jar Jar her duties while she's gone. And like, even though Jar Jar, he's kind of not the best person for this role. And it doesn't exactly make sense 
I know a lot of people don't like him, but I think it's fine that he is where he is. And I don't, I maybe I'm just weird because I don't hate his character. Like I like, like I don't love Jar Jar, but I like that he exists because I like that the Star Wars universe doesn't have to be like, oh, that's this other show. I, I tried getting into it. I don't remember what it was, like Battlestar Galactica or something. Like it seemed too grim to me. And I like that Star Wars isn't that. Right. No, I like, would agree with that. I, I like that this little goofy frog man from a magical swamp planet <laughs> can exist just as easily as an all-powerful galaxy-conquering dictator. Oh, yeah. Well, and to see, it's like anything you don't want. You need to have representation across the board. Like, it shouldn't just all be humans. Yeah. You need some of that. And I know that a lot of people looked at Jar Jar and was like, oh, he's kind of the chewy of this universe or this series. But I mean, I I don't think that that I I don't think that's the case so much. I think that's just people being pedantic. But I don't know. I I imagine Lucas probably found himself in a weird place because of the reception to Jar Jar. You don't Mm want to get rid of him 100 percent. But where do you put him? Yeah. You know, his character, even if he was, you know, quote, younger or teen or whatever, when he was in uh phantom menace mm-hmm. you know he is still who he is so where do you where do you put him in a place that makes sense like you show him matured but what do you do with him beyond that mm-hmm. i think he's used enough in this movie I, I probably like i like him enough that i could have used a scene or two more but i think he's used just enough in this film i think so i mean i don't think you'd want more but yeah I, this movie is a lot of cameos you know mm-hmm. it, it you know we we see pinaka we see jar jar you know there's sabula or not sabalba um wato you know you see him you know it, it is a movie of a lot of okay this is where this person is now and then you can kind of move on from there kind of kind of thing so yeah you get a scene with anakin and padme getting ready and he's basically griping about obi-wan saying he feels like he's ready to move up in the jedi order obi-wan doesn't think he's ready and she tells him not to grow up too fast and he says but i am grown up i'm like this is such a teenager attitude oh very much grown up (laughs) (laughs) i mean in theory if you look at traditional structures he is 19 but yeah he's he's got a lot to learn before he's just that impetuous nature that of if nothing else Uh you also have the an exchange she says like he's looking at her weirdly and she says don't look at me like that why not it makes me uncomfortable (laughs) like it'd make anybody (laughs) uncomfortable creepy little teen (laughs) (laughs) very much so very much so yeah it's the whole romance aspect of this um there's always a joke that goes around that stephen king can't write romance and I don't think, at least in this respect, George Lucas can't either. No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) So they head for Naboo, and Obi-Wan heads off to start his investigation. And his investigation starts at a little 50s-style diner. (laughs) Oh, I love this so much. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Like, I would sit at that bar and eat anything that uh, Jexter made up. (laughs) Yeah, uh, they need to, like, they should start some sort of a diner thing at the Disneyland Star Wars place. Oh, that would be awesome. Like, I know they have some sort of a cantina there, but they should have multiple. Like, have one of these little 50s-style diners. And, like, who cares if it makes sense in canon? Have this Dexter, Jetster guy as the chef. Have a big animatronic 
four-armed aliens <laughs> cooking oh, all the food in the back. <laughs> that would be fantastic. And just the five o'clock shadow he's got going. <laughs> oh my God, that was awesome. Yeah, he's great. He's basically like a stereotypical Midwestern diner cook. Oh man. <laughs> Complete with a filthy white t-shirt and sagging pants. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah. I remember seeing that in the theaters and it's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so obi-wan shows him the dart that zam was killed with and he identifies it as a camino saber dart made by the cloners on the planet camino and obi-wan tells him that nothing came up when he ran an analysis on it so dex gives him directions on how to find this planet Can you imagine okay you go down to the corner and then you go by <laughs> the old tractor you're gonna make a right and go about 15 parsecs if you if you hit the restaurant at the end of the galaxy you've gone too far you want to turn around and ask for a guy named jim he's gonna be able to tell you where you need to go <laughs> also stop there because they got the best burgers this side of tatooine that sounds like something that they should put into a Star Wars parody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be fantastic. Well, maybe they have. I don't know. I, I know there are some parodies out there from like Adult Swim. I haven't seen any of those. I should watch I, I've them seen at some the, point. Um, I've seen the robot chicken ones. Those are, those are actually really funny. So Obi-Wan decides to go back to the archives to search again, this time specifically looking for Camino, but it doesn't show up. And he asks an elderly Jedi librarian, her name is Jocasta New, and she can't find it, so she says it doesn't exist. And he asks if the archives could be incomplete, and she seems, like, offended at this thought. Oh, <laughs> She's, yeah. like, deeply offended. If an item does not appear in our records, it does not <laughs> exist. <laughs> I remember watching this and wondering, like, if she had something to do with that. It's like, oh, she's really quite like insistent upon this point is she uh, no she yeah. she didn't have anything to do with it she's just really no. dedicated to her job and, oh absolutely and i don't know if it was intended to be this way but to me this is like one of the biggest little indications of the jedi's problem here they're just too sure of themselves like even this seemingly sweet little old lady jedi can't fathom that they might not know everything that there is to know that is true. But I suppose when you're in that place in time, you put so much time and effort into that research that it's like it's inconceivable that there's anything uh -huh. that's not at least somewhat documented. Yeah. Um. But the fact that Yoda sees this and doesn't go back to the archives to I mean, I know that he sends Obi-Wan off, mm -hmm. but this seems like a major breach. It does. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, once they figured out that something had potentially been erased they should have opened an investigation into that yeah that seems like a pretty big oversight if you've got that kind of a thing in your records uh, i don't know mm -hmm. and the fact that it takes it took a youngling to kind of be like yeah clearly <laughs> there's if you if you have the coordinates and clearly it's there um yeah sounds like a problem <laughs> yeah yoda should have been thinking a little harder about this and maybe he was just putting on a brave face because he's brought all these little kids but he should have gone back and like had a talk with Jocasta new and said, Hey, look, something has been erased. We need to figure out how and why. Yeah, basically. So Podman and Anakin get to Naboo. They're meeting with the current rulers, I guess. Some of the people are the same from the last movie, but of course there's a new queen. 
and they're talking about the separatists and you find out Newt Gunray is still in charge of the Trade Federation and they're afraid that he is working with the commerce guilds to get an army together if they end up in a civil war. And you get a scene where Anakin almost starts an argument with Padme about where they're going to stay because she wants to stay at the lake country as it's very isolated there. And then Anakin is like offended that she didn't consult him about this first. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I know that they're not, they're not like a thing at this point, but like, you really want to date this child, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. Well, you know, considering what they go through, uh, I, I suppose in the moment people make weird decisions. Yeah. I, and I'm sure that that's the thinking behind this because yes, what they end up going through at the end would really force you together. But still at this point, it's a wonder that she eventually falls for him. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's considering her character and how world, she's worldwide. She's got a lot of that going. And I know that that's to some extent you do have to take into account. Okay. This is the way it's going to go to be able to move the plot along, but there's some things there that could have been tightened up, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can talk about it later as far as where Anakin ends up and such, but... Mm -hmm. So Obi-Wan eventually heads to Kamino, and he finds the people there waiting for him. He meets with the Prime Minister, Lama Su, and is told that they have a clone army that was being developed for the Republic, which was ordered almost 10 years ago by Jedi Master sifo and... Obi-Wan is confused by this because he was killed almost 10 years ago. And this is not exactly explained. Like, you get hints of this in the movie, but it is not explained. I think it might have been explained in the Clone Wars series. But, like, thank goodness for Wikipedia, because <laughs> I copied <laughs> down the story of sifo like how this actually happened. Because I always wondered about that, because, you know, you don't get anything really... The outside of the name, you really, I, I always said, okay, is Sifo-Dyas like a play on Sidious? Where does this all start? He was a Jedi. He, okay. he was on the High Council. He was one of the Jedi. He apparently had really good foresight. Like he could, he's had visions of the future. Okay. And this is pre-Phantom Menace. He saw the Clone Wars coming. He believed that the Galactic Republic would need an army if it was going to win in this war that he knew was going to happen. And the Jedi Council wouldn't listen to him, and he was kicked off the council. So he, in secret, contacted the Kaminoans, and he pretended that he had the authorization of the council and the Senate to get this army going. But at some point, the Sith caught wind of this and wanted control of this project. Around the time of the Phantom Menace, Chancellor Valorum requested that Sifo-Dyas go to the Pike Syndicate, who they're a group that you'll get to know in the Clone Wars series. Okay. They're, they're evil. They're basically drug runners. Nice. So We're not nice. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no, not nice. No, bad, evil, <laughs> grr. <laughs> so he goes off to Obadiah to talk to the Pikes, but Darth Tyrannus, Count Dooku, who was sifo friend, former Jedi, of course, mm-hmm. ends up betraying him and hires the Pikes to shoot down his shuttle. So he dies in this crash, and the Sith go and take over this project secretly. They fund the army and get Jango Fett to serve as the template for the clones. Okay. And this is something else you learn in the series. And I, I don't think it's mentioned at all in the movies, but the Order 66, that does not happen of the clones' own volition. They have a chip in their brain, and they were behind putting this chip in. 
So the order 66 is basically like a trigger word. So right, they, right. They, they basically are taken over by this need to kill all the Jedi. So they are behind putting this in them and getting this programmed into the clones. So that wasn't initially part of what, well, obviously the, he would not, he was a <laughs> Jedi. He would not program them to kill them. Right. So He's basically is, these, these poor clones are basically Manchurian candidated. Yes. The, all this stuff happened after they got rid of Sifo-Dyas. Right. So, Although I've got to tell you, Sifo-Dyas' credit must be pretty freaking awesome to be able to fund a whole clone army or to at least get it started. Like the Caminos look and they go, uh, you know, your credit's not quite as good as it could be, but we'll get you started on a plan. That is true. I wonder where he got the money. Because <laughs> I'm I'm assuming after the Sith took over, Count Dooku probably was funding this because like, I don't remember. I don't know how I know this, but Count Dooku is like massively wealthy. Well, I mean, he's a count, so he has wealth from somewhere. I believe he lives <laughs> in a castle somewhere too. Nice. I think in one of the series, there's like a plot of them going to after he's gone, like people raiding his castle, trying to find all his treasures. Well, I mean, look at Vader. He really didn't have necessarily have a lot to his name, and he lived in you know, basically a mountain surrounded by lava. I mean, that that's that's quite the retrofit if you want to think about it. Yeah. Well, I suppose they're probably pulling money out of, out of the, the taxes <laughs> from being the leaders of the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's good to know that actually makes a lot of sense. And obviously it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, even back in the day, they would say, oh, the novelization explains this and that and the other thing. I mean, that's not a new concept. Mm -hmm. It's one of it's... those things where I I don't think it, like, obviously it wasn't necessary to the movie, so they didn't have to explain it all. But I like that it, it's one of the things that I like that you can find more information in the expanded media. That's true. That's very true. And that's always been the case. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember reading the novelization of this and I got the Obi-Wan cover because it was my favorite. Cause it was, you could get um, Anakin, this or Padme. And uh, hmm. so, yeah. So back on Naboo, Anakin and Padme have made it to the lake country. She's telling him about her childhood here, swimming and lying on the sand to dry in the sun. And you get <laughs> his apparently Sorry. iconic lines. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. <laughs> Can you? I, I feel I feel bad for uh, Hayden Christensen, like reading this line. Can you imagine? Just like you want me to read this line specifically? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know about you. Like, I never gave a second thought to those lines. It didn't strike me as anything weird at all when I first watched this. It wasn't until the internet decided that it was the stupidest thing they've ever heard. <laughs> and to be fair, it is very corny. But like, <laughs> I don't know that it's worth the controversy. <laughs> well, I, I think it's just, it's like anything. It's when something weird goes viral. Not, not that this yeah. was a, something that went specifically viral, but I think it's just... It's just not something that your average human would say. You know, someone would say like, you know what? Sand gets everywhere. You know, it's dry and it's bleh and it's whatever. But and you can totally see the perspective of a guy that grew up in the desert and mm -hmm. the all the stuff that's associated with that. I mean, yeah, it's understandable that he wouldn't like the sand. But it felt like when she's like, oh, we'd lay in the sand after being in the water. His follow up to that yeah. is... <laughs> I hate the sand. It's just like she really wasn't. It's like when someone jumps into conversation 
to a thing that's maybe slightly adjacent to what's being talked about and does this reveal of this traumatic thing from their past. Uh-huh. It makes sense within context, but it really doesn't. Uh-huh. That's always the, that's always the way I took it. It wasn't even so much that the lines themselves were inherently weird. It was yeah. just the fact is like bringing up this thing that, yes, it makes sense, but it doesn't really, it kind of ruined the mood, you know? Yeah, yeah. The thing about this scene that I think is weird is what follows that. When he says, it's not like here, everything is soft and smooth. And he's like rubbing her hand and arm and back. And it's like, yeah, this, this seems worse than the sand lines. Yeah, the, the, this isn't the movie um, Bodyguard. This is, this is, <laughs> she's not given, <laughs> she, you know, yeah, yeah, we understand that you like her, that uh, that's, you've already made that proclamation. She's already said her piece on it. Well, as weird as it is, apparently it works because she kisses him. <laughs> she <laughs> immediately true. regrets it, but she does kiss him. So <laughs> something about his weird delivery and weird rubbing on her must have done something. <laughs> the combination of his traumatic memories of sand and the words of affection towards her home planet just changed her mind. <laughs> No, you were talking about me? Oh, gosh, I thought you were talking about my planet. Well, I take back my kids. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot. I've condensed a lot of, like, the middle of this movie, so I'm going to, like, skip around to talk more about Anakin and Padme, even though this happens later on in the movie. But you have more scenes of them, like, flirting, getting to know each other, and talking politics. You have a, a scene where he basically reveals his ideal system of government is a dictatorship and she yeah. thinks he's joking <laughs> i'm like how are you missing so many red flags with him <laughs> you also have a scene here where they're like frolicking in a field with these giant creatures called shacks s-h-a-a-k-s that <laughs> i can only describe as being a cross between like a cow a duck and a bloated tick <laughs> I just thought it was like a potato with legs. <laughs> There's so many weird creature designs. I don't know why this stands out to me as one of the weirdest. <laughs> oh, no, it totally does. It's like, I'm sure they were probably going for like, like you said, a variation on a cow or a sheep. But my God, it, I, I looked at that the first time and rewatching. It's like, oh, yeah, the potato things. <laughs> I, I don't see a potato. I see a bloated tick. It's horrible. <laughs> Also a good point. It's probably more true to life, but oh my God. Somehow they're becoming a couple through all these scenes. I don't know why they don't seem like a good match, but somehow it's happening. And you have cringy dialogue and an angst-filled conversation about how their love will never work. Oh, man. And that's the kind, that that whole conversation, especially like when they're in the, you know, like the it's dark, they're eating dinner and like he passes a pair over to her via you know uh, <laughs> force CGI ability pair <laughs> yeah yeah that whole thing it honestly it feels like hormonal driven teens so people in their you know 16 and like 17 not 19 and 24 mm-hmm. it reads like a bad romance novel yeah it kind of does i feel like not i hate to keep bringing up the clone wars series but I feel like their relationship feels so much more natural in the Clone Wars series, even though it's a cartoon and like even in the first season or two, it wasn't the greatest animation. It still felt more real than here. 
their scenes together i mean yeah well that goes down to lighting or not lighting writing though too don't you think like if you had someone besides lucas writing this or someone to just tweak because his ideas there's a lot of good ideas in what he's writing Mm -hmm. and but there needed to be some finessing with all of this yeah definitely and i think we can both agree you know and it's not a slight on him it's not a slight on anybody it's just even if he knew how to write it, having a secondary person come through and, and just tweak things mm-hmm. to make them more things people actually say outside of a, you know, a romance yeah. novel or in the moment of, you know, like hormonal driven love of a 16 year old, you know. Mm-hmm. But this all ultimately ends with him proposing that they keep their relationship a secret, like become a thing and keep it a secret but she refuses saying they'd be living a lie. She couldn't live like that. And he seems to reluctantly agree saying it would destroy them. Right. Which I mean, it kind of ultimately does. And the, and I agree there too. They also, and I know that again, it's one of those things that is meant to drive a point, but they put themselves into this situation where they're left alone and they're, you know, in a dark room with a fireplace and kind of that hot and heaviness I'm glad that they were able to have a very straightforward decision. They weren't driven by the passion that was clear in that moment or meant to be conveyed in that moment. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, cool heads do not, uh, you know, maintain their coolness. (laughs) Yeah. So back on Kamino, Obi-Wan gets the full tour of the cloning facility. He learns about Jango Fett and that he requested a single unaltered clone for himself. Obviously, Boba Fett. Oh, Absolutely. So he wants to meet Django, and he's at this point thinking this is the person he's been tracking. So he's taken to his apartment, and I don't know why. <laughs> There's sometimes the weirdest lines will just stick in my head, and like little tiny 10-year-old Boba Fett, Dad, Ton Wee's here. <laughs> <laughs> like That's one of the most iconic lines from this movie. I don't know why. <laughs> Well, it is so just in a movie that has a lot of very, like, not necessarily human spoken words. Then you have this very kind of just casual, like, oh, hey, dad, this giant weird alien with the long neck is here and she's got galaxies in her eyes. Can I have a cookie? (laughs) I guess we did mention, too, the Kaminoans are probably one of my absolute favorite Star Wars aliens. I think they look so cool. They do very much. They kind of remind me of like, and I'm sure this is on purpose, like what people say gray aliens look like, except these are like stretched out. I don't know. There's just something about them. They just look so cool. They're I love whenever they show up in things like they have a kind of a big role in the Star Wars, the Bad Batch series. And that's one of the reasons why I, I kind of love the Bad Batch, even though they're not in every episode. It's one of the things that makes that series stand apart from other Star Wars series, just because you spend so much time on Kamino with these things. I don't know. I just love the look of them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, looking at the trivia, that was one of the things was they kind of wanted to do their own take on kind of the classic alien. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, they are. They're really interesting like everything about Camino and the Camino aliens or the Camino people um, is so interesting. Like even when the the um, way that they get around on the pterodactyl esque the, the flying whale, whale pterodactyls. Yeah, those are so cool. The yeah. one thing I will say, they have their landing pads, and they mm-hmm. they don't have any kind of a roof. Can you imagine? Like you're trying to bring in like a cake or something, and you get out of your <laughs> ship. 
<laughs> and he managed to make it like all the way from the from the inner core out to Camino. And you're like, I got this really awesome cake. And then you get out of the cake and it's downpouring and it just destroys the cake. I have a feeling that this is not something that ever once crossed George <laughs> Lucas's mind. Well, why not? Darn it. He made potato tick things. <laughs> <laughs> I I, another thing that i love about camino is the fact that it reminds me of what star wars was trying to not be like the clean very sci-fi futuristic look and i love that even though most of star wars is like gritty and lived in and human this place looks so sci-fi yeah i think they probably have to though uh, just given the fact that everything they do is so like clinical. That is true. Yeah. You know, like you would have to have, and they as a species seem very, very, not sterile. That's not the right word, but you know, very meticulous. Mm-hmm. Like the last thing you'd want is if you are cloning something for it to turn out from something like David Cronenberg's The Fly. <laughs> Cause that'd just make a mess. Yeah. So Obi-Wan talks to Jango Fett. He asks him about Sifo-Dyas, but he says he doesn't know who that is. He was recruited by a man called Tyrannus, and Obi-Wan does not know the name Tyrannus. He knows Count Dooku. He doesn't know about him joining the Sith yet, so this doesn't flag as anything suspicious yet. Right. That scene ends with Obi-Wan leaving and Jango telling Boba to pack up. They're leaving. In between all this, you get more scenes with Anakin and Podme. I don't know how much time is passing, but I'm assuming it's like pretty substantial for as close as they seem to be getting. I don't know about that though, because I don't think I don't think Obi-Wan is on Camino for that long. Like maybe days, but certainly not weeks. Well, true. But I was also thinking about how much time well, I guess I don't know how much time he spent like doing the initial investigation. Because even though the first thing that we saw was him going to the diner, he did say that he had been searching through the archives, like it, his dart was not identifiable right he had been searching for a while before that scene happened so understandable anyways obi-wan reports to yoda and mace windu what's been going on what he's found out and they're basically just as confused as he is nobody knew about this clone army and yoda thinks that they must be blind if they didn't see something like this coming and they want obi-wan to bring Django fett back to them for questioning which how is he supposed to do that he's got a one-man fighter I didn't and, even think of that. <laughs> and the Caminos are, are incredibly, like, for as scientific and as awesome as they are, man, they are really lax with their security. <laughs> like, oh, you, you're, really are. Yeah, you know, <laughs> well, maybe that's why they, they kind of have the same thing with credit. Um, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I, I represent all these people. And it's just some random guy that like off the street that's like, you know what? I'm going to play a prank on these Caminos. I, I'm just going to say that we need a clone army. It's all good on credit. <laughs> I suppose the security thing may, might come down to the fact that they're kind of isolated. True. Like they're on a pretty unforgiving planet. They're, it's an ocean planet. And all, all of their stuff is on platforms. They would know if somebody was coming. So maybe that's why they don't have door locks. And that's, and, and that's, that's a good point, too. And obviously all this is kind of just like jokey conjecture but there is that thing of this person shows up and you automatically just take his word that he's a representative of the people that you assume he's a representative of yeah 
I mean, technically, they have been waiting for a Je- any Jedi to come for a long time, so obviously that's why they would assume that this guy is the one they want, but they really don't question at all, and everything that they say is just them assuming, right. and he just goes with it. Oh, absolutely. Which, I mean, what else can you do in that case? You know, you're just like, okay, well, I'll, you know, yeah, this will work. <laughs> mm-hmm. You also get a scene after the call with Obi-Wan of Mace telling Yoda that he thinks it's time to tell the Senate that their ability to use the Force has diminished since they couldn't see any of this coming. And Yoda basically shuts this down and says, only the Sith know of their weakness. If they start telling other people about it, then there's going to be even more people against them. And that is very true. Like, you know, Yoda's kind of playing 4D chess with them because that's what they would do with them. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting to see that side of him, because up to this point, we really only get like kind of altruistic Yoda. Mm-hmm. Like, well, even though he doesn't really know what's going on, it is good that he's not going to the Senate to tell them this, because I mean, the Senate is controlled by the Sith, so at least he has enough foresight to realize that it would be a bad idea to start telling people that they're not quite as powerful as everyone thinks they are. Yeah, it's one of the few right decisions that's made in this movie, as mm-hmm. far as the Jedi and all that stuff. Yeah. So Obi-Wan goes after Django and Boba, leading to a fight out on the docks in the rain. Obi-Wan ends up losing the fight, and he falls off a platform. Django thinks that he's dead. Like, he, he looks down, the sea's below, so he thinks that he's just fallen in and drowned. So he leaves, and of course he's not dead. He, had, he was tied to a thing, and he use the rope to catch another platform below and he makes his way back through the unlocked doors somehow all the way back (laughs) up to the platform that they were on when he fell just as boba takes off in the ship and he tosses a homing beacon onto the ship so that he can track him which leads them to geonosis the chase through the asteroid field and this scene i think this is literally my all-time favorite sound effect in any movie ever the seismic charges. Oh, it's fantastic. I just love that sound so much. They're so cool. Well, and it's done just so well. It just like you see it, like the fact that it actually does it properly where there's the the actual explosion and then you hear it. Yeah, it just looks and sounds so cool. And in the theater too, you get that really deep bass going. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this, this is why the, this movie is my favorite. There's so many good sound choices in this movie and this is the best one agreed so anyways yeah they're using these seismic charges and they again wrongly assume that he's been killed and they leave while obi-wan is hiding waiting so he can safely follow them down to the planet yeah it is kind of a callback to um when the millennium falcon goes out with the trash i thought that too yeah the little diversion there yeah So back on Naboo, Anakin is dreaming of his mother again. He hears her screaming for help, and he wants to go find her, and Padme says that she'll go with him. So they go to Tatooine. He tracks down Watto, who looks a lot more worse for wear than the last time we saw him. He's got flies buzzing around him. And and a very good five o'clock shadow. Not quite as good (laughs) as as Dexter, but you know. (laughs) At that point, I don't know that you can call it five o'clock shadow anymore. He just looks... (laughs) It's very he, unkempt. He could. De- he definitely needs to go visit the Tatooine barbers. <laughs> yeah. So he asks about his mother, and Watto says that he sold her years ago. He thinks he sold her to a farmer named Lars, who freed her and married her. So he heads off to their farm, which is the future home of Luke. 
and there he finds C-3PO. The maker! (laughs) (laughs) And C-3PO introduces him to his stepbrother, Owen, and his girlfriend, Baru, and his dad, Kleeg, who is Shmi's husband. He tells Anakin that his mother was kidnapped a month ago by a pack of Tusken Raiders, and they went after them, but the Tusken Raiders killed almost everyone, and he lost his leg, so he hasn't been able to go out looking for her again, and he's basically given up hope that she's still alive. Then you get the montage of Anakin traveling through the night, Duel of the Fates playing, and he eventually finds her tied up in the Tusken camp, but it's basically too late. I think she'd been holding on to the hope of seeing him again, and as soon as she saw him again, she dies. Yeah. And it's funny, too, like, the very first thing she says is, you look, she says, you look so handsome. And it's like, well, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) So he is enraged, and he massacres the entire encampment. Not just the men, but the women and children, too. (laughs) (laughs) Just the way, and I don't know about you, and I... It's one of those things where they probably did multiple takes to kind of get different tones, but it doesn't come off as vengeful. It comes off as a little bit like spoiled rotten brat, doesn't it? Or is it just me? I don't know how I feel about that scene. Like I know, and no, nothing, nothing against Hayden Christensen. Cause I, it's not an easy line mm-hmm. and it's like to be able to convey that rage, you know, that, will come to define him as we move along. Mm-hmm. I should have had James Earl Jones dub all his lines. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But it would almost, do you think like a deadpan, like just a, I killed them all, you know, and just that very like, you know, not just the men, but just like almost deadpan, just stating it might've come off better than the, the overly, like the very, very forceful emotional read. I don't know. That whole scene is just kind of weird to me because you like you don't even get much of a reaction from Padme either, so it makes it feel even more weird. True, like if somebody just told me that they genocided an entire group of people, (laughs) I think I would have a little bit more of a reaction than what did she say? To be angry is to be human. (laughs) Like, (laughs) why are you saying that about him confessing to killing a ton of people? Well, and maybe that goes to show the the kind of blindness that she clearly has for him in that respect. Like, maybe that's supposed to be an indicator. Yeah. You know? Yeah, probably. She's like, oh, he's, he's gone a little crazy, but it, but it's okay. We'll, we'll get him back. <laughs> She's just ignoring so many red flags right now. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, and also during the scene where he's massacring the Tuscans, you hear Qui-Gon Jinn. Like Yoda can sense something and he's like meditating and you hear Qui-Gon Jinn shouting, Anakin, no. That was interesting. I, I, I don't remember hearing that previous times that I watched this. I think it's explained in other media, but Qui-Gon was one of the first people to be able to come back as a force ghost. And at this point, he's still learning. Like he can, I don't know, manifest his voice in the real world, but he can't do like the full body thing. Right. And I think that's that was like the first indication of him, I don't know, learning that technique or whatever. Okay. Interesting. So back on Geonosis, Obi-Wan is sneaking into a building where he thinks Django went. 
and he overhears a meeting between Count Dooku and the leaders of the various commerce guilds, and you hear Newt Gunray telling Count Dooku that he's not signing anything until he has Padme's head on his desk. So apparently he's still nursing a grudge 10 years later. (laughs) Well, and I think that was kind of the whole point, too, was to get rid of her so she couldn't influence the vote, too. Probably, but I think he still wants revenge. He's oh, just, absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's got a bone to pick with her and he wants oh. her dead. Well, I wouldn't blame her, blame him for feeling that way. Um, so there's <laughs> you forgive a tangent, but um <laughs> A tangent. <laughs> a tangent. Can you believe it? <laughs> so there's there's this um really goofy um kind of a B movie called Samurai Cop and uh that the head guy is like he wanted Samurai Cop's head on his piano so he can look at it and make fun of it. And that's all I could think in that part. It's like I want his head on my piano. <laughs> it's just like it's just the most over the top scene. And I couldn't help but think of that with new gun <laughs> I'm going to put some flowers next to it and it's going to be beautiful. He doesn't actually say that last bit. I just, the way he's going off. (laughs) Okay. Tangent over. (laughs) So in all that he's overhearing, he learns that this group is behind the separatist movement. They're building a droid army. So he goes to, transmit his findings to the council but his long-range transmitters are gone so he tries to contact anakin and discovers that he's on tatooine not naboo and r2 picks up his message as anakin is getting back with his mother's body and this is where the scene with him talking to padme happens i'm not sure how much time is passing here but then after that you have a funeral for shmi and r2 shows up with the message from obi-wan I don't know if R2 just waited until after the funeral or what. (laughs) It's like, oh, something's going on out there. I think I better just wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, R2 is nothing if not polite. (laughs) So they go back to the ship to listen to the message and retransmit it as they're listening. And then they see as he's giving them the message that he's captured in the middle of this and since they're retransmitting and listening at the same time, they're talking to the council and Mace Winder tells Anakin to stay where he is and protect the sender. But when he signs off, Padme tells him that the Jedi are never going to make it in time because Coruscant is halfway across the galaxy. But Tatooine is like less than a parsec away from Geonosis, whatever that means. It's closer. Oh, it's literally obviously. down the block. <laughs> so <laughs> she's going to go help Obi-Wan. And if he wants to protect her, he'll just have to come along. <laughs> And they also take C-3PO with them, with, and it doesn't seem like they stop to ask if that's okay. And I know he's technically Anakin's droid, but he's also been Kleeg's droid for years now. And Kleeg is like, he's now an amputee, so they're kind of stealing a dis- his disabled stepfather's <laughs> only droid. <laughs> but honestly, how, how much use is a protocol droid in the middle of the desert, honestly? I don't know. He could bring him some blue milk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to say there aren't like tons of different languages spoke on Tatooine, but I don't know that uh, they would have been better to leave uh, R2. Not that R- you'd want to leave R2, but in the grand scheme, R2 would be a better choice to stay with them if he needed a droid. It, it also makes me kind of wonder, like, I know it's like decades later, but C-3PO knows Owen. 
and I know he gets his memory wiped, but you'd think Owen would have remembered C-3PO when they buy him from the Jawas later. Well, you see, when he's uh, at that point, he's kind of a dirty, you know, kind of silver. He gets cleaned up and he's all gold. So, you know, a difference, you know, between the two. And I suppose like 3PO units are relatively common. Like you see them kind of all over the place. So if you've seen one, I suppose you've kind of seen them all. I suppose. But with Anthony Daniels voice, it's so iconic. (laughs) Yeah, they don't well, they all, all have Anthony Daniels voice. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But over the course of however many years pass, say twenty years, I suppose you do kind of. Uh, not yeah. everyone is going to keep the same enchantment for Anthony Daniels. <laughs> yeah, I, it's probably just one of those things that I'm thinking too. <laughs> no, but, of, it, but it just struck me that no, I, I think it's I think it's a very fair <laughs> thing to bring up because it is. It is one of those plot points that is brought up rather rather consistently is that with the droids especially one way or the other those there should be some recollection on one side or the other of mm-hmm. you know that stuff. Well, you do have a scene in the next movie where they I think it's Bail Organa says to wipe C3PO's memory chip or something like that. R2 but, doesn't get his wiped, but C3PO right. does. But R2 like you know it's not like 3PO can't understand what he's saying. That's true. You'd think R2 would have filled him in. <laughs> he would have like, been okay, like, hey. Here's what, here's what they wiped from you. You need exactly. to know this, this, and this. <laughs> I mean, even when 3PO doesn't really, you know, he kind of poo-poos R2 from time to time, there would still be that, you know, if you say it enough times, maybe uh-huh. there is something to it. Not that 3PO really gives a lot of thought to that, but still. <laughs> that is one of those common things that gets brought up. So, I don't know. One way yeah. or the other. I think it's just one of the things that they didn't think through enough when they decided to retcon c-3po's origins yeah oh there's there's a thing with r2 coming up that i yeah it's 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 not even a retcon so much as just a i know why they did it but it feels like such a convenience thing but anyway we'll get to it so okay in here somewhere you also get a scene with palpatine and a group of high-ranking senators, including Bail Organa, Leia's dad in the future. They're discussing what to do with all the information that Obi-Wan has discovered. And one of them suggests that they grant Chancellor Palpatine emergency powers so that he can approve the creation of an army and be prepared for when the Separatists attack. And within this group, you have Palpatine and somebody who, I don't know that he's ever like named, but he's like kind of always in the background. His name is Masa Mehta. Oh he's, yeah, the um oh what is he called? Um, he's like a big blue thing. He's yeah he oh I thought he was man I thought that that was the the kind of cow guy with the three eyes. No, that's a different guy. Oh okay okay. But he's he's also kind of in those groups. Like there's this specific group of senators, and the only ones that I really know are Bail Organa, Palpatine, and Masameta. Because Masameta, I think he's supposed to be like Palpatine's right hand guy. Yeah, he's like, like kind his... of always lurking in the background. Very true. Very true. And he's got big blue shoulders and he's got like horns and then he's got like kind of the weird things coming over his shoulders. Yeah. He's like a cross between like the Twi'leks and Tagroda and also like the Chiss because he's blue. Right. Maybe he's related to Max Rebo. <laughs> it's his <laughs> uncle. <laughs> exactly. I mean, those could technically be tusks and, you know, Max Rebo is kind of an elephant, so... <laughs> He's a squishy elephant, but... Anyways, these Palpatine and Masa Mehta, they're like, 
you can tell they're always up to something and you can tell that they have specifically had Jar Jar Binks invited into this meeting because they're trying to manipulate him. And they're talking about how they need a senator brave enough to suggest granting Palpatine these emergency powers. And if only <laughs> Senator Amidala were here. <laughs> like she would know what more, to do. <laughs> they couldn't get more over the top with this if they tried, but Jar Jar is Poor Jar Jar. Clueless. Yeah. You can literally see him kind of like looking over his shoulder like, oh, if we only had someone brave enough to do this job, I'd even give him a cookie. Uh, yeah, and it, it works because he goes and suggests this, leading the most hated Star Wars character to be directly responsible for the creation of the Galactic Empire. Yeah, and I do wonder, and I know we talked about this previously, but just to be a, to, to know what the intent was. Yeah. Was it to show that how manipulative and evil they were? Was it to show like Jar Jar continues to make those whoopsie mistakes? <laughs> whoopsie mistake. I just created <laughs> an all-powerful galactic warlord. Whoopsie! <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we we also get another random line that is like for me randomly very iconic when Jar Jar addresses the Senate. Hello, delegates. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I just love that line. <laughs> so back on Geonosis, Obi Wan has been captured. Count Dooku is trying to persuade him to join him. He basically tells him the entire truth of what is happening, that the Jedi have been kind of, not necessarily on purpose, but abandoning what they've stood for, and that the Republic is currently under the control of the Sith. And everything he's saying is technically true, he's just leaving out the little fact that he is also Sith at this point, and Obi-Wan thinks that he's lying and refuses to join him. And he talks about wanting to take down Palpatine, and I do, like, I'm not 100% sure of Count Dooku's motivation. Like, does he actually want to take down Palpatine? Because, like, he he did used to be a Jedi, so maybe he does have a tiny little shred of morality left, and he's just kind of hoping that he can get somebody else on his side. I don't know. See, I always kind of took... You know, because the, the one thing with Siths is they're always... I mean, it's kind of lookout for number one. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, self over everything else, whereas Jedi are you know, basically great or good. Um, mm -hmm. I always kind of took that, you know, he's kind of playing multiple sides. Mm -hmm. You know, he's playing the, you know, evil, ha ha ha, we're going to destroy the world or the, the galaxy type of a thing, but he's also in it for himself. Yeah. That or he's lying to somebody. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's probably more expanded media on this, but like I was talking about the series Tales of the Jedi before, you do get a little bit of his backstory in that. And like the reason that he left the Jedi order is because he basically believed that they had become hypocrites. Like he, he thought that they were abandoning their morals. They'd become tools of the Republic and he wanted nothing more to do with them. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he just suddenly decided, okay, I'm evil now. Like he, he had good reason for leaving. Like there, you, you get this with other people too. Like Ahsoka ends up, I don't want to spoil too much, but she leaves the Jedi Order because she comes to realize 
through a bunch of circumstances that they are not as pure as they think that they are. Oh, yeah. Well, you can look at any big organization and say, you know, you can, you know, especially if you're idealistic, you can look at it and go, you know, this is the best that we've got. And then you realize, well, they're no better than these other Mm -hmm. people because they're willing to make, you know, concessions or whatever it might be. I mean, that happens. There's actually a lot of, at least in the um, expanded universe or um, now, what is it called? Like the books that came out before Disney bought everything. Is that legends? Legends. I was thinking expanded universe, but yeah, legends. There's a lot of cases of Jedi that leave and go off to do other things. Mm -hmm. So they still have the Jedi stuff, but then they, they go on to do their own thing, whether they're, you know, members of rogue squadron or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, there's, there's a fair amount. I would imagine over the course of time, it's not like being excommunicated kind of a deal. Yeah. Well, you also have, like he mentions Qui-Gon and like everything he says about Qui-Gon is true. And Qui-Gon also believed that the Jedi were being corrupted, but his approach was more like stay and try and change things for the better. Right. Work from within or from the ground up. Yeah. Whereas Count Dooku was leave and tear it all down. Right. So I don't know. Like, I I guess he probably doesn't really want to take Palpatine down, but it's the way he said it made me think maybe a tiny part of him did. I don't know. And I, that is one thing, you know, with any of these decisions, I would imagine that the Jedi, there is still that Jedi side to him. You know, there is still that seeing corruption and trying to fight it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be multiple things, you know, that even if you only list one reason for the, why you do something, there's mm-hmm. always going to be those other little things. And it could very well have been, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. Well, at this point, you also have Anakin and Padme finally arriving. Padme basically just tells Anakin to follow her lead. She says that she's going to try and find a diplomatic solution to this problem. And I'm like, you literally just heard that Newt Gunray has a hit out on you, and he's waiting to exact <laughs> his revenge. H- how do you diplomacy your way out of this? <laughs> Aggressive negotiations. Uh, apparently. <laughs> uh, they they basically leave the ship and end up immediately in danger because they uh, parked outside of a droid factory, apparently. And you get this long sequence. It reminded me of like Looney Tunes cartoons. <laughs> Oh, like it totally was. It's, it's obviously <laughs> a lot more dramatic and dangerous than Looney Tunes, but this is like Looney Tunes, all the stuff. But is it more dramatic through. or is it just made to, I, I think it's, I Some think of it's it exact, is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel so bad for 3PO. Oh my God. Yes. Poor man. Oh, geez. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I I kind of love all the stuff with him getting his head swapped out with the battle droid. That's no, like it's, my it's favorite part good. of this whole thing. <laughs> and this is another set of scenes, and it makes sense because there's a lot going on, but there's a lot of great sound design in here too. Yes, yes, yeah. That's one of the things I love so much about this movie. Like they went above and beyond with the sound design in this movie. Absolutely. And the three PO's line about uh, uh, what was it? Machines building machines? Woo! How perverse. <laughs> <laughs> that also does bring up the fact that uh R2 has jets. Like like mm-hmm. uh <laughs> never brought up again. It's in the next movie too. Is it? And it's oh it, I think I'm it sorry. plays in I think I think it's one of the the next movie. There's a scene where he like he sprays oil around, uses the jets, sets everything on fire. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Or is You're that right. the series? Because I think he uses the jets in the series too. See, I don't. The only time I remember seeing it, and again, it's been forever since I've seen uh, Revenge of the Sith. But I, I thought this was the only occurrence, and I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, well, I this apologize. Is the, I think this is the first occurrence, right? Like, this, but there's no when, other. I don't think that they had thought to give him jets before this. I'm sure this is a retcon. I don't think they had imagined that he had jets hidden inside his legs when they made the original trilogy <laughs> no I, well and uh, trying to do that practically would have been yeah impossible yeah yeah although who knows maybe with george lucas something that he always wanted to do but he couldn't do it before but he's like oh now i've got cgi he's gonna fly now <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they are eventually captured and sentenced to death by a gladiatorial combat, apparently. I I have thoughts on this whole scene, but I'll as we go along, I'll I'll talk <laughs> through it. So they're put in this little carriage thing, taken to the arena, and on their way, they think they're about to die. So they pledge their love to each other. Because I mean, at this point, if you're going to die, you might as well just say how you feel. I do feel bad for uh, Obi Wan because he doesn't have anybody to snuggle up next to. <laughs> Yeah, they get in, they find Obi-Wan already there. He says, I was beginning to wonder if you got my message. And he says, I retransmitted it just as you requested, Master. <laughs> then we decided <laughs> to come and rescue you. And I love I love his reaction. He looks up at his chains. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> and then up in the stands, you have the leaders of this whole thing. You have Count Dooku, Newt Gunray, Rune Hayako, Django, and Boba Fett along with the leader of the Geonosians, whose name I don't know is ever mentioned in the movie, but his name is Poggle the Lesser. And it's wow, just like, it's a good name. It's <laughs> one a good of name. the best names. I love his name. I don't know why. I just love his name so much. Poggle <laughs> the Lesser. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the arena, they have to battle these creatures. You have a reek, which is like a giant red cow rhino lizard thing. <laughs> a nexu which is like a horrifying cat spider with an opossum tail oh he's tail. so cute oh he's adorable <laughs> i mean he's i so love the design but i don't love its face that would be horrifying to see in the middle of the night <laughs> oh i think that'd be adorable you just scratch him underneath his many chins and you'd you'd, you'd win a new friend <laughs> and then you have what could possibly be my favorite star wars creature the Acklay which is like an enormous praying mantis crab dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they just like tossed a whole bunch of random animals into a, um, into a basket and then they pull them out and go, okay, we've got a goat ant kiwi. Uh, go at it. Make your thing. <laughs> I don't know, but I kind of love that as an idea for an art prompt. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be amazing. Just randomly select animal pieces and put them all together and make it make sense. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> so, yeah, all these creatures come out. They have to try and stay alive, I guess. They all manage to kind of hold their own. Even Padme, who kind of is better than anybody else because she gets out of her chains and climbs up. And then you get... <laughs> this is like the dumbest thing. She gets a sexy makeover. Oh, my God. It's so dumb. It is. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense within the grand scheme of like even the way that the next who like like scratches her. 
Yeah. It, it doesn't make any damn sense. No, but, it doesn't. Like, that whole thing is kind of weird, but my biggest issue with this whole gladiatorial bit is the fact that it's like the Force doesn't exist. Like, they could get themselves out of those chains or, you know, or confuse the animals they're fighting. I, I know what they were going for, but it just, I don't know, it just didn't work. You do get a little bit, because, like, Anakin tames the Reek. Kind of? That's that's using the Force there, because there's a whole thing, there's, like, a branch of Force use where it deals specifically with animals. And, like, that's not something that's ever been mentioned with Anakin before, but it is something, like, there is precedent in the expanded media for taming animals with the Force, so I'm sure that's what's supposed to be going on there. That's fair. I guess just that whole bit, like... Some of the, and I know that they they have to maintain a certain thing, but like Padme is able to do her own thing and kind of get away. But I, the, there seems to be a complete lack of force use outside of that, and it just doesn't. I don't know. It's like mm-hmm. I don't know. And again, everything else I can kind of put aside, but that just kind of always stuck in my craw. Yeah, I mean, they definitely don't use the force as much as you would think that they could. And obviously, you don't want it to be a a dosis a dosis machina, but just for that bit. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of i don't know i don't know i they i think they just wanted to have a cool animal fight and they weren't thinking about too much you're, about you're that. right no 100 you're right but i do i do like the thing with padme as she swings around she kicks the nexu and newt gunray is like enraged she can't <laughs> do that shoot her or something <laughs> And then I'll kind of take a step back and go, we're, we're just going to let her do her thing because it's entertaining and she's holding her own. I did like that. She was able to hold her own and did did a good job with it. Uh-huh. But yeah, Anakin tames the Reek. He rescues the other two, but then they're surrounded by the Droidicas. And then suddenly the Jedi arrive, but they're like, I don't know, this it seems like they're doing it too slowly and dramatically for my taste. Oh, no, I would agree. <laughs> they should have burst in there and it's like they suddenly reveal themselves, but it's like, I don't know. It's like you should have ran in there instead of slowly walking in and holding <laughs> well, they your wanted to be dramatic. Give, give, them, give them that. They're just trying to be dramatic. <laughs> also, I think this is the first time you see Mace Windu's purple lightsaber. And yeah. He has the best lightsaber. Oh, of- God, yeah. I need a replica. Well, and the fact that that was specifically to him, that was so yes. cool. Yeah, because I think I've, there's a clip of him like talking about this. I think probably in, it might have been during the Phantom Minutes, I'm not sure, but he was talking about getting a lightsaber and he said he wanted a purple one. And George Lucas is like, the good guys have blue or green. And he kind of insists on, he says, well, maybe we could do purple. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's Mace Windu. I mean, it. he's more than good. He's great. Yeah, he has the best lightsaber. I, oh, yeah. I love I love his lightsaber. I need a replica. I think you should. That'd be cool. So then you get an all-out battle in the arena between the Jedi and the droid army. And I, I love the scenes interspersed of the battle of the two halves of C-3PO trying to make their way through the battle. <laughs> <laughs> My legs aren't working. I must need maintenance. <laughs> Ah, you Jedi dogs. Oh, oh dear. I'm terribly <laughs> sorry about all this. <laughs> I think we need an entire army of 3PO uh, droid uh, combination or hybrids. <laughs> that would, God, be, that would be so funny. Like, <laughs> like you know, the, the their opponents would fall over laughing and then they could just take them all out then and there. 
You also have a scene of Django Fett flying down to the arena for some reason, and I have no idea why he does this. Like, he could have been picking off the Jedi from the balcony sniper style, <laughs> but instead he jetpacks down, gets trampled by the reek, and then beheaded by Mace Windu. <laughs> Don't you think, too, that that's sort of like a confidence thing? Maybe. Like I he's suppose. overconfident because, you know, you know, what is the, you know, I'm Django Fett. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I suppose that's probably what it was. It just seemed like the dumbest decision he could have been made. Yeah, well, we've also got the Jedi not making too many great decisions either. But I think that just the yeah. swagger of of Django kind yeah. of reflects in that decision, and his mm -hmm. confidence was his undoing. Yeah, he was suffering from delusions of grandeur. Mm -hmm. And then later, he, like when I first saw this, I was like really disturbed by the scene of Boba picking up his father's helmet, because I always assumed that he was picking up his dad's head. <laughs> <laughs> but then I later found out that he, it, that's not what happened. If you watch closely, you can see the shadow of his head falling out of the helmet. You don't actually see the head, you just see the shadow. So he's not actually picking up his head, he's picking up the helmet. But then that also begs the question of what happened after that, because Boba adopts Django's armor, so did he have to go back and undress his father's headless corpse to collect the armor? Because uh, that's almost kind of worse. Well, I mean, you know, as long as you avoid the 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 severed neck, I mean, it's not so bad. Uh, you definitely wouldn't want to let it rot in there, that's for sure. But um, maybe that's why it looks so worn by the time we see him again in Empire. Maybe. I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> It's something that I shouldn't have thought about, but I you did. You know what? I would imagine, you know how they have like the, the services that come around and clean up after murder scenes and such? I would imagine that there's yeah. probably some kind of service that takes well, care of that. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Because Geonosis, it's like a planet of insects. So the insects probably are their own cleaning crew. They probably came in and cleaned up everything and maybe oh, yeah. just requested the armor after they cleaned it up. I would say so. I mean, and that does beg the question, too. I'm sure that uh, hopefully Django was wearing underpants because that would require its own separate kind of cleaning after losing one's head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just going to, that's going to be my new headcanon. The Geonosians cleaned everything up and gave him the armor later. I think that makes sense. <laughs> Although they don't include like a polished job. You have to do that yourself. Yeah, well, he didn't, so that's why it looks all dinged up. Exactly, he didn't take care of it. You know, it's uh, didn't learn proper armor, armor repair or something. But anyways, eventually the Jedi are overwhelmed by the droid army, but suddenly Yoda is there to save the day. He flies in on a gunship with the new clone army, and they start mowing down the droids, which leads to an even larger battle outside the arena as they're trying to prevent Count Dooku and the droid army from getting off-world. Count Dooku is pretending like he doesn't know what's going on, as if this isn't exactly what he and Palpatine have been planning. <laughs> and you get a brief scene between him and Poggle the Lesser, where Poggle tells him that they can't let the Republic get a hold of their plans for the ultimate weapon, which is the Death Star, because he hands him this little hologram thing that has... Uh, it's the Death Star on it. So, and can you imagine the 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 loan that they would have to take out? Like they would have to mortgage half the planet to be able to have that. You know the the plans for that put together. Not even just talking about building it, but just the plans. From what I've read, 
the plans aren't like they were refined by the people of Geonosis, but they didn't originate there. Like apparently the plans for the Death Star go back like a thousand years. Like this really? is something that the Sith really wanted and they started planning this like a thousand years before. Well, you'd have to to be able to save up the money to build that thing. <laughs> They're yeah. like, okay, look, we can only have 15 swimming pools. I'm sorry. That's that's just the way it's going to go. Oh, and there's going to be a thermal exhaust port that might be a problem, but I don't see it being a problem. <laughs> it's either that or you're going to have to downsize the size of your throne. I'm sorry, your majesty. <laughs> or you could just take over the Republic and tax everybody to get the funds. <laughs> also true. <laughs> Which I suppose is probably how they explain that in universe. Oh, you'd have to like that would from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you have to remember it's just a movie. There, but yeah, mm -hmm. if you go looking at it from that perspective, it's definitely something of that nature. Well, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it might be explained later on. I think the Geonosians end up getting being enslaved to build this thing, because I think there's a storyline later on in the clone. Is it the Clone Wars or the or Rebels? where they find out, like, basically the Gene Oceans had to build the Death Star. And then I think the Empire basically wiped them out of existence to hide the secret of the Death Star. Oh, that's too bad. That's just rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rude. <laughs> Very rude. They should be ashamed of themselves. Genocide. How rude. I know, right? So, yeah, he gets the plans for the Death Star. He He's going to take them to Coruscant to give to Palpatine and he's trying to leave but Obi-Wan and Anakin follow him and on the way they lose Padme which enrages Anakin but Obi-Wan has to talk him down and he admits that she would do her duty and leave him behind if their roles were reversed so they get to the hangar and he's all enraged because of all this anyways and he immediately disobeys Obi-Wan's orders to take Dooku together rushes him and gets force lightninged knocking him unconscious, leaving Obi-Wan to fight him alone. And meanwhile, Padme is rescued by the clones, and she points them in the direction of the hangar they were heading to. And Obi-Wan is basically no match for Count Dooku, and he gets sliced a couple times. He doesn't lose any limbs, but <laughs> he's about to be shish kebobbed when Anakin wakes up and fights him off. But he isn't a match for him either, and he... He loses his very first limb. Aww. I mean, you know, do you remember when you lost your very first limb? Because I remember when I lost mine. I'm pretty sure by the time this the prequels are doesn't he lose every limb? Yeah. Maybe he has one left. No, I think he loses. Yeah, he literally loses all, all four. I think the only one he has left when they do the whole high ground thing is his mechanical one. Because it's the only thing oh, that yeah. pulls him up okay. out of the lava. Oh, yeah. um <laughs> can you imagine oh man what a day yeah, yeah. <laughs> i didn't lose a finger i didn't lose a hand i lost my whole like lower arm <laughs> although going back just real quick the fact that yoda is kind of leading the charge with the clone army can you imagine like yoda being like your field commander like trying to <laughs> understand what he was saying you want us to do what <laughs> around the survivors a perimeter create what? Do you speak English? <laughs> Look, little man, I trust your judgment and clearly you know what you're talking about, but can you be a little bit more clear with your instructions? Yeah, with Yoda, you now have, depending on who you ask, one of the best scenes in Star Wars history 
or the dumbest. <laughs> to me, it's one of the best because I love seeing Yoda bouncing around and fighting with a lightsaber, using his size to his advantage. But apparently a lot of people think this scene looks dumb. Um, I'm I'm kind of mixed on it. I I appreciate what they're doing, especially like the juxtaposition of the way that he is an incredible fighter and then he gets his cane and he could just kind of walks off like an older gent. Mm-hmm. Like I really enjoyed that. Uh, my issue lies more with the just the notion of like there's not a lot of gravity to him. Like you don't obviously and obviously he's not a puppet, but you just don't get that that sense that there's anything to him beyond the CGI. Mm. But I think the thing itself is is pretty cool. Like I don't have an issue with it. It's nice to see him, you know, go hardcore. Yeah. I think for me, I don't unless something is glaringly fake looking, I don't usually care if CGI looks a little off. And like there's a lot of CGI in this that you can tell it's CGI. But I've seen a lot of really bad CGI, so I kind of don't care. <laughs> oh, I, I watch a lot of Asylum movies, so I, I do get the bad CGI, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Just just for the, the level of production. And obviously, yeah. you know, 2001 CGI is going to look a lot different than, you know, 2023. But yeah. um, I think, my, my like I say, my biggest issue is it didn't feel like there was any weight to the character as he's doing all the moves and stuff. Like, there's no... It's like, oh, flip, 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 flip. And it... I think I would chalk that up to him using the force. Because it's obvious that he is elderly. He has trouble walking. He has to use a cane. But I think in this moment, he's probably using the force to get around. Oh, like, no, I don't, 100%. I don't think he's, I don't know, physically strong enough. I think this is more mental than physical. Well, no, and my problem isn't even with the way he does it. Just like the way that the CGI is done, they don't take into account that Yeah, it. it's more that side of it than anything. And it's a small complaint in the grand scheme, but... Like I say, it's, you know, you would expect a Jedi of his age and power to be able to kick some serious Dooku hiney, you know? Yeah. Well, I think he would have if Count Dooku hadn't chucked a pillar at Obi-Wan and Anakin. Oh, no, agreed. I mean, that is something that's definitely going to change the way, you know, your outlook. It's like, oh, do I keep fighting him or do I help my students? Yeah. Well, anyways, I love the scene, so. <laughs> no, and that's that's 100% cool. I say more power to you. And it's like, it's in the grand scheme, like the way that it landed, like the fact that you get Yoda, like Dooku disappears and, you know, he picks up his walking stick and he goes back to being the Yoda that we know. Like that mm-hmm. whole juxtaposition is really cool. And mm-hmm. it adds some, it adds something to it. So. Yeah. So, yeah, their fight ends with... Yoda having to save Obi-Wan and Anakin while Count Dooku runs away like a scared little baby. <laughs> <laughs> and Podman and the clones get there just in time to kind of shoot in his general direction, and that's basically it. And I love his ship. Oh, it's cool. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird and awesome. It's like this little sail sail parachute thing on the back. I don't know. I love it. Is it supposed to be like so it must not be a ship that maybe has hyperdrive, but maybe it uses it helps it to maintain some kind of um, amenity. Like it helps it to stay undercover, maybe. I have no idea. <laughs> I think I just thought, hey, what if we put a giant golden shiny parachute on the back of the spaceship? Because <laughs> yeah, it is what cool. drives, that is what drives them across the universe. I don't think they use a hyperdrive with that. I think the way it flared up when he, before he jumped into hyperspace, I assumed that it was the parachute thing was the thing that, Push them into hyperspace. I don't know. Possibly. I just thought it looked cool. 
But yeah, he flies back to Coruscant, meets with Palpatine, reports that everything is going as planned. The war has begun. And then back at the Jedi Temple, Obi-Wan is telling Mace and Yoda what Dugu said about the Sith controlling the Senate. And they all agree that he's probably lying, but they should maybe keep a closer eye on the Senate from now on. And then Obi-Wan comments that this would not have been a victory without the clones. And Yoda says that this was no victory begun the clone war has <laughs> uh that, that i don't like that line because that, <laughs> i feel like that would be the same as somebody like at the beginning of world war ii and they say well world war ii has begun or uh, even worse at the beginning of world war one if they say well we've just started world war one <laughs> <laughs> because we know there will be at least one more war down the way <laughs> uh yeah i d- I don't know. The line begun, the Clone War has just seems, I don't know. It seems wrong. Is seems it something weird. you wouldn't put on a, on a t-shirt? <laughs> Actually, that seems like it would be a good ironic t-shirt phrase. <laughs> it's like the most <laughs> random t-shirt begun, the Clone War has. <laughs> I just picture like Yoda with like kind of a, kind of an upset look on his face. He's got a cigar in his hand and he's just like, ah, begun, the Clone War has. <laughs> Then you get a scene with Palpatine and his crew overseeing the launch of the clone forces. And then you're back on Naboo with Anakin and a new mechanical arm and Padme getting married in secret with C-3PO and R2-D2 as the only witnesses of their marriage. The end. So that's Attack of the Clones. Probably my favorite of the prequel trilogy. I have a feeling it will stay my favorite, even though I have a feeling I will have a higher appreciation for... Revenge of the Sith, because like the reason it's not my favorite is because I prefer things to be lighter, and Revenge right. of the Sith is like dark and sad and depressing. Oh, so it's I, as dark as it gets. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know that it will be elevated that much, but I think I'll have a higher appreciation for it, especially now because I haven't watched it since like the sequels. Like I, I actually the last time I watched it might have been in the theater. <laughs> so yeah. I think I'll probably have a higher appreciation for it now. But I still think this is going to be my favorite just because one of the biggest things I love about Star Wars is the creatures and the world building and the sounds. And this has that in spades. Oh, absolutely does. I, I can see that. And I'm I'm actually grateful for the perspective because um, I, I never minded Attack of the Clones. Like it's never been a, like my favorite, but it's, it's far from the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'd probably put clones above um return of the jedi just because i don't know there's just and maybe it was because of the changes that were made to it with when lucas redid stuff but it always is set right above return of the jedi for me but yeah i i don't know hearing your perspective it does bring to light more stuff to kind of enjoy about it that i you take into account but it's not like it's part of the scene as much as anything it's just you know Knowing, like, you know, looking back and going, oh, you know, I did look at more at Aliens, and wow, the sound design is really great. That does play in more. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I think a lot of times people get too focused on the story, which is important. And there is a lot of cringy, semi-dumb things in the movie. But, like, for me, Star Wars as a whole, it's just such a cool universe. So even at its worst... I still love Star Wars. (laughs) No, it's understandable. And I think on the prequel trilogy side, I think it is just more that 
it was done with excess and there were places that should have been edited and Mm -hmm. things that could have been improved with just a second set of eyes. Yeah. You know, I think that's where it comes down to for me. Like there's a lot of good stuff, but, and there are great moments, but it's, it's that lack of edit that this suffers, that this whole series, the the whole uh, prequel trilogy suffers from. Yeah. George Lucas really needed to have some script doctors. (laughs) Uh, something even just a second set of eyes to go hey you know let's change up this line just a little bit you know just those those little tweaks that that do make a difference yeah but i I think it's kind of funny at least from my perspective like everybody always talks about what their least favorite star wars is out of each trilogy it always seems to be like my most favorite (laughs) like i've my my most favorite is always everyone else's least favorite, and my least favorite is everyone else's most favorite. <laughs> well, I think that you go your own route. You don't, because I do think that a lot of people, and you run into this with a lot of B-movies as well, you know, people, they take other people's opinions on board so much, as much as their own opinion, you know, it, it influences mm-hmm. a lot. And I do think that is the case with a lot of, with a lot of people's opinions when it comes to Star Wars as much as any movie. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about this when we did Stand of Menace, but like for a while there, I would think I was letting the internet dictate my opinion on Phantom Menace a little bit too much because I loved it oh, yeah. the first time I saw it. And then I was reading all the complaints and I was like, oh yeah, they did do that. Oh yeah, they did do that. And But now I'm back to, I love it again, even though it's weird and there are, there are good criticisms of it, like legitimate oh, yeah. criticisms, but as a whole, I still love it. Right. And it is finding that balance of, okay, is there truths to these criticisms, you know, as they apply to what I really feel about this? Mm-hmm. And it is more than just a one-time watch. You know, your your opinion should evolve over time. Like, if you have the same opinion of a movie now as you did, you know, five years ago without going back and rewatching it with the change in perspective and, and growth that every person has, you know, mm-hmm. that that's to your disadvantage as much as anything. Not yours, but just generally. Okay, well, until we get to the last episode in the prequel trilogy, do you want to let people know where they can find you if they want more from you? Absolutely. You can find me in Genosis. Uh, I'm under the third bug on the left. Uh, (laughs) Try to avoid the the droid factory because your head will end up on a different body than the rest of you. Or just squished. (laughs) Yeah, that wouldn't be so good. There was a couple of those. Ouch. (laughs) They, They... They took great pleasure in using the bugs as bugs. Even though they were people, they used them as bugs and had them get squished and cut apart. And I think they had a little bit too much fun with that. I would 100% agree with that. <laughs> um, so you can find me, if you're not on Genosis uh, looking to squish bugs, you can uh, find me on YouTube at Trivial Theater. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Trivial Theater. Okay, well... Eventually, we will get to the third and final movie in the trilogy, so we will see you then. All right. Take care. May the Force be with you. And also with you. (laughs) I have a bad feeling about this. Thanks for listening to iHeartMovies. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well, and if you want more content from us, check out one of the other podcasts in the iHeartMovies podcast network, or check out my brand new Patreon. My link tree, as well as any other relevant links, will be in the description. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.